Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parsons, and as ever, I am joined by Richard Kutcher. Hello. Good evening. And Tom Martin, you right? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Uh, so this pod is a special one-off episode because in the past week, we have, of course, said goodbye to a huge figure in the modern history of our club as it was announced that Jim Smith who managed Derby from 1995 to 2001, passed away aged 79. So uh, after hearing the news, we've decided to take a bit of a break from current on-the-field matters for the Rams. I mean, let's face it, you're not going to be missing much. And instead, relive the story of the Bold Eagles' six years in charge of our club, where he achieved promotion in his first season, of course, established Derby in the Premier League, and gave us great memories with his cosmopolitan side of global bargains. I think it gives me a greater pleasure or a greater challenge to be able to get a team to be playing good football because at the end of the day, um, I want to go on happy. And if I go on happy, we play good football and we've won. I'll play good football and uh, everybody enjoyed it. The bald eagle landed, then conquered. Armed with the tactics and the players responded switched the narrative to change the story from years in the shadows to top flight glory restored our pride before we moved to the park the baseball ground that Sunday one mighty roar the limbs were flying when Vandalan scored a next level squad those players we saw from Igor Stimach to Paul McGrath thrashing the Arsenal against all odds He led us to victory as underdogs. To hear you've sung your final swan song has hit this fan base like a bullet through the heart. Never forgotten, always revered. Gave those that remember some of our best years. As you take your final flight, bald eagle, you'll always be here. From our hearts, Jim Smith, you'll never disappear. So gents, we'll get down to business in a second, but it's uh, it's my shout this week, as is tradition, and it's our last pod before Christmas, so I've got a cheeky uh, bottle of mulled wine in, but disappointingly, when I unveiled it, Kutch is far too hungover to even sample it, and uh, Tom has given me pelters for even bringing it in the first place. <laughs> Unbelievable scenes. I mean, it's not, it's not my favourite beverage, Chris, but actually, I am actually quite enjoying it, so thank you very much. For Cheers, this. mate. Cheers. Um, so before we move on, don't forget Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. And uh, I feel like I should start this 
episode by giving a bit of a disclaimer at this point because we have interviewed several players from the Jim Smith era on this podcast. Long-time listeners will know that. We've spoken to Daryl Powell, Dean Sturridge, Paolo Wanchop, and you'll be hearing from most of those on this episode. So some fans might ask us, especially younger ones, why talk about that period again? You know, what more is there to say about uh, Jim Smith's time at Derby that we haven't really said before? But I think when I was thinking about why we should do this, all three of our formative years were spent watching that Jim Smith Derby team. We all grew up and became obsessed with Derby County because of that Jim Smith Derby team. And at the end of the day, the facts are, he was one of only two managers to get us promoted in the last generation. So I think he does deserve some special recognition, even for fans who may not, um, you know, may not really have been aware of what he did because he was before their time and that sort of thing. But I think it's important to be aware of, uh, you know, the history around your club and... Not only that, but he kept us in the top flight. And Kutch, we've had 14 permanent managers mm-hmm. since Jim Smith. And the long and short of it is nobody has lasted as long as him or done what he did. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably not a stretch to say that this podcast might not even exist without Jim Smith's impact on Derby County. I mean, he's certainly the reason that I support Derby. You know, as, as people know, I'm not, I'm not from Derby, but one of my uncles supported Derby. And um, he got me into football in kind of 1995. And so Derby would look like a great option because Jim Smith was creating this really exciting um, football team. We won promotion, obviously, that, that year. And I've my first memories of football are sitting in the bath listening to a sports report uh, and, and hearing the results come in of, of Jim Smith's Derby County team. And there's no, there's, I really do not think that I'd be a Derby County fan if it hadn't been for Jim Smith uh, in the mid-90s. What, what an image that is, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, on this sombre <laughs> note, picturing Kutch in the bath is not what I want to do. But um, I do... I do totally see what you mean. Um, my dad's from Derby. I'm slightly older than you. So uh, I was at Wembley in the 94 playoff final when we lost to Leicester. Um, I think my first game was uh, against Wolverhampton Wanderers in maybe 92 or 93. So it was slightly before then, but really my first memories were, were like yours. I remember that, that season in 95, 96, watching the games on, on ITV and going to a lot of games. I lived in Northampton, so it wasn't too far away. Um, my dad used to go, we, me and my dad used to go regularly uh, that year. And that was a fantastic Derby team and probably probably the best Derby team we've seen. Maybe that one in the 13, 14 side and it's all down to Jim Smith. It was a fantastic t- time. Before we get down into the individual seasons, <clears throat> where he was Derby manager, um, I wanted to ask you both in general terms, Jim Smith was a character. He was he was firm. He was fair. He was old school. He was, it's a phrase I'm not a huge fan of, but he was, quote, a football man. Mm. Um, and I don't think we've really had a manager like him since. Do you think someone like Jim Smith would really succeed in this day and age? Or is he the sort of manager that doesn't really exist anymore? Uh, I think he would. I think what was amazing about Jim Smith um, was he was old school. He was all those things that you said he was, but he was also extremely innovative and he moved with the times. You know, when he brought Steve McLaren in, I think we were the first professional club to have a professional psychologist on the books. Um, He was looking ahead. He wanted to do things different. He looked far and wide for players, as we'll come on to. Um, He was just a great man manager. And there's always room for those characters in the game. And you kind of, I'd kind of put Harry Redknapp in a similar bracket, who was managing up until very recently. Um, if you look more contemporaneous, maybe even say Chris Wilder's probably in that bracket as well. Sean Dyche would be my argument for that. Yeah, and they're both successful Premier League managers now. So I think he absolutely 
would um, thrive in in today's game because he was a he was a football man and um, he was he kept with the times and he kept himself relevant and he moved and changed. He was a manager for twenty years before he joined Derby, but he created one of the most the most cosmopolitan team in in English football history. So if you look at the time when he was appointed, Derby had had near misses in the playoffs in the three previous seasons, finished like sixth, eighth and ninth from memory, I think something like that, lost in a playoff final recently. Sound familiar? So when they looked for a new man, they went for Jim Smith in the summer of 1995 in an effort to finally get over the line. And it wasn't actually universally popular when he was appointed, from what I've seen and heard, uh, seen as basically being too old. He was in his mid-50s at the time, but obviously had a wealth of managerial experience behind him, having uh, achieved promotions at Colchester, Birmingham and Oxford, and also managed Newcastle and Portsmouth in that managerial career spanning 20 years that you mentioned there, Kutch. Um, His last managerial post before Derby was with Pompey, and he actually missed out on automatic promotion to the Premier League in 93 by a single goal on the last day of the season. And then that Portsmouth team lost in the playoffs to Leicester. But uh, Derby thought, he's the man for us. (laughs) So they went for him. But as we said before, Derby at the time, there were sort of a lot of parallels with the current side. Uh, They'd spent a lot of money in previous seasons, trying to go up, having come down at the start of the 90s, but never quite got over the line. Uh, they'd lost in the 94 playoff final. Um, but despite getting so close, Jim Smith wasn't afraid to uh, to to make some quite major surgery to that team in his first season. Uh, the likes of Craig Short went out, Mark Pembridge, Paul Williams, all of whom were like part of the furniture in that Derby County team, all big name players at the time, um, big presences around the club. And in came the likes of uh, Ashley Ward, Daryl Powell, Robin van der Laan, uh, Gary Rowitz, Ron Willems, who were all very influential in their own way. But uh, perhaps most importantly, in came Igor Stimac. I think Igor Stimac was uh, the pivotal signing. And I, I I do vividly remember that season. I don't know whether it's because of watching it, obviously, on the, the TV, watching it live, and but then also buying back the VHS, as it was, of the season review. But the Stimac's been signed at the, I think it was the end of October, and then playing in the early November, I think the 4th or the 5th of November, uh, against Tramir, and us getting spanked. But him scoring, and then suddenly we went on a massive unbeaten run, 20 games or so. But I think we were four or five games unbeaten before that point as well. So we were clearly turning a corner because it, it was a slow start. I seem to remember us playing uh, Port Vale, Steve Sutton being in goal and being a bit, bit sort of strange on the telly. Uh, on ITV Sport and it being been a very slow start and there'd been a lot of my dad not being very happy and me being a bit too young to to think well what does this mean like, I don't understand how managers change I didn't didn't grasp that as a as a nine-year-old boy at that time um but my dad wasn't happy with the the Jim Smith appointment as you said and Derby didn't start very well but he was still match was such a turning point for that Derby team and also that season, it was an incredible, uh, incredible signing. Yeah, it's, it's on touching it there. I mean, the, the, the Tranmere game was the fifth of November, 
And then we won after that, we won 10 of the next 11. We didn't lose a game till 9th of March. And we had a wobble around March time, which again sounds familiar for, for Derby County fans. And, and, and you said, Stimmatch was kind of the final piece of that jigsaw. And I think what's really important to remember about Stimmatch is when he arrived, he was 28 years old. So when we bought him, he was already the finished product. We didn't buy him as a development player. You know, he had the authority and ability to have, have an impact on, on the team straight away. And I know lots of current fans, uh, and we, we've made it ourselves, you make a comparison to uh, Bielik. Um, to Stimatch lots of people say there's similarities there but we've bought Bielik for a lot of money and he's extremely young and he's not the finished product Stimatch was a he was at the peak of his powers he was ready made experience and uh, that just had a a huge impact on that team but we should we should probably talk about some other of the the key players I mean I wasn't going to mention it but 1.5 million for an international finished product so how how did Jim Smith do it (laughs) what did he say to get that deal done Croatian like people didn't know Croatia was a relatively new country they were still coming through I mean it was prior to France 98 when the Davos Suka, like that fantastic team reached the, the semi-finals in France 98. We didn't know what Croatia was. Like it was, a, it was a new country. So him being a fantastic product from that region, just, just no one knew about it pre-internet as well. And to mention, I was going to save it for later, but you go on to Asanovic as well. Uh, there's quite an interesting part in, um, I think it's Michael Cox's book about the history of the Premier League. He talks about the mid-90s, which was so different because foreign foreign players in, in English football just were a bit of a novelty. Like, and they only really started to, to they only really started to infiltrate the English game in the early to mid-90s. And they, uh, there's a section in that book about the best number tens in the Premier League in the mid to late 90s, and they talk about like Bergkamp and Zola and players like that. But Asanovic also gets a mention as like being quite an underrated uh, mercurial talented uh, you know flair playmaker in that role but yeah to, to go back to what Tom said maybe Jim Smith benefited from the time of of, uh, of European markets just being a bit of a unknown quantity really like an untapped resource yeah and I think um, I think I was just I was doing some research earlier and uh, in the, as an independent story when when we signed Stimatch and and Lionel Pickering I think it was at the time said um, but you no, know, there was lots of teams that wanted were interested in Stimatch, and Stimatch wanted to come and have a chance to play in the Premier League, and it was a bit of a, a coup for Derby to get him. So I'm not sure you know, how he pulled that off. With that, whether that was Jim Smith himself convincing him, maybe we just chucked a lot of money at him, maybe there was some agent relationships involved. Who who knows? But you know, Jim Smith was capable, particularly in that two or three year spell, of just picking up these incredible incredible talents that we hadn't heard of and this is before the days of massive scouting networks this is before the days of technical directors and, and recruitment departments so Jim Smith must have been working his contact book really hard and willing to take a punt on these players from all over the world and all around Europe. So one of the other players who was so influential in that 95-96 promotion season was uh, was Dean Sturridge who uh, banged in 20 goals got Derby promoted by finishing second and uh you mentioned about the the unbeaten run there, which, as we said, went from early November or mid November, basically from shortly after Steamac arrived to uh, to January and to March, ninth uh, of March to March. Sorry, and uh, yeah, Dino told us when we spoke to him that when the season didn't start well, uh, Derby only won three. They'd only won three games by late October in that promotion season. Uh, Jim Smith and Steve McLaren sat them down and said to them that they still had so much belief in that team they knew how good they were and they just convinced that team of their own ability and gave them so much belief gave them, and their confidence grew they started to play with the ability that they knew they had and then once that unbeaten run started like some of the football that, that we produced 
in that 20 game of beating run winning 10 games out of 11 was absolutely sensational Tom yeah the uh, some of the goals that we scored in that time and some of the amount of goals we scored through that November December run I seem to recall us putting four past a number of teams a lot of fours and threes yeah Sheffield United I think and the one that sticks in my mind is the Birmingham City away uh, again it was on the telly I was very young so I didn't didn't go but um, Jimmy Greaves was speaking afterwards and talking about Dean Sturridge and was like he just said something along the lines of like that the boy just developed pace and he didn't have that pace at the beginning of the scene, didn't have that finishing ability, but he was so clinical that night. And I think he scored twice and maybe Gabby Adini, I think, scored maybe twice that night. Um, and we just destroyed a, a, a big side. Birmingham City, one of the teams that get fifteen to 17,000 and were, were a big sort of fish to beat in that, in that division. And we just blew them apart. And that was a, a quality derby performance when you look back at it. So yeah, one of the key figures was Sturridge. 20 goals for him that season, top scorer. Then went on to become Derby's all-time leading Premier League goal scorer, having uh, barely played for Derby the season before and actually being out of contract in pre-season in 1995. Uh, We previously interviewed him on this podcast and here's what Dean Sturridge said about Jim Smith's influence on his career. Now, the season after... Jim Smith took over um, in the summer before that promotion season. How big a factor was he in your uh, in your in you in you breaking into the first team? Um, massive influence because because of going out on loan to Torquay and then coming back for the remainder of the season playing under twenty threes football as it's called now, as then it was called reserve team football. I was thinking I've gone out on loan, scored goals in a first team environment. Hopefully I can get a taste of first team football now. But unfortunately it didn't pan out that way. So came back, played and reserve football. And then in the close season I was out of contract. What always stuck in my mind in that I was having to prove my po- a point to Jim Smith and Steve McLaren in pre-season training. And maybe they would have thought privately, well look at this boy's goals record. Not scored any goals in championship football, the level of Derby are at, at the time. Scored some goals in League 2 football. Is he going to be enough for us? Probably not. So other players were ahead of me in the pecking order. I think Mark Stallard, Darren Rack at the time were playing in the striking positions. As young lads who I was competing with as such. And I think probably at that stage, Jim Smith and Steve McLaren seen those players ahead of me. But in the way I performed in pre-season, I think they started to take a little bit of notice of me as it came closer to that first game of the season. And that's when they started talking to me and calling me in and saying, look, we need to give you a new contract. We need to give you a contract that will make you sign and stay at this football club so we don't want you to leave. And that was, so that's why Jim Smith was a big influence because he saw something in me. He believed in me enough in that. Remember his line, he said, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Sign the contract and you'll be on the bench at the weekend You know, in the first game of the season. I think it was a live game. I can't remember who the fixture was against. True to his word, after I signed the contract, I was on the bench in that first game of the season at the baseball ground and came on for the last 10-15 minutes and acquitted myself quite well. So yeah, the unbeaten run continued, stretched to 20 games, 10 game, won 10 games out of 11 between November and January. Um, Coach, can you imagine any Derby team being capable of doing that now? Hasn't been matched since. No, not, the McLaren's, McLaren's run must have come close to it. Not sure the exact numbers. I thought we won ten in a ten in a row of McLaren, but it didn't. It looked like it was going to kick on, but it was never as convincing. I don't think as as it was with the Smith mm. side, and the fact that we scored so many goals in that time and we didn't concede that many. I think with McLaren, we played well and we scored. We did score goals, but there was always a 
there was a lack of uh, maybe a bit of uncertainty about what was going to happen. Whereas with that Jim Smith team, it just, it just kept going on and on and on. And even when we did have a, a knockback, we then sort of bounced back again. And that was a that was a real key thing about that Derby side. So the thing is, like you know, we've mentioned Stimach and Sturridge, but there was goals all over that team. And Paul Simpson got twelve goals from mid from wing, which is quite rare. Marco Gabbiadini got um, double figures, and Ron Williams got double figures as well. Chris Power at left back scored four. That season, you know, a left back scoring four goals. I went and he only back. signed in January, didn't he? Really? I think so. Mm. Yeah, I don't think he started that season at Derby. I think he only came in halfway through. But then, you know, there was real, there was just balance that team. And those those forward thinking players, those that attacking, that attacking talent was made free by you know Robin Captain Fantastic, Robin van der Laan, Lee Carsley came through our academy. It was just had perfect balance, and obviously Stimmatch, as we said, probably just capped it off. So, who was the most important player? in that promotion side in 95, 96, do you think, Coach? I think, I think I've got, to, you've got to say Stimmatch for the impact he had, but I'd say Dean Sturridge probably runs a close second and then those midfielders I mentioned as well. I can't disagree with you there, Coach. Um, Stimmatch was a fantastic signing, turned the season round. Sturridge scored 20 goals. Russell Holt, some fantastic saves there. He was a real top-class goalkeeper and again, was a bit of a nobody. Came into the Derby side, I reckon mid-season. Maybe may even signed on loan. My, my memory's a bit sketchy. Um, but I seem to recall him putting up some absolute blinding saves as we went through a bit of a sticky sticky patch and getting points where we shouldn't have done and getting three points where we should have only got a point. So he was a key figure too. But I, I do think Stimach, uh, Sturridge, Van der Laan, uh, Von Willems just was seemed to be reliable scoring goals so those four were real real crucial for me yeah I think you, you, you've covered them all there but certainly Van der Laan deserves a mention as well I mean he, he was a solid championship midfielder but like you know the you know he was the, the epitome of a, of a really good championship captain I think he really led by example Sturridge gave us another anecdote actually when we spoke to him and said that before the Crystal Palace game at the end of that season He'd been going through a bit of a scoring drought, hadn't scored in a while, but they were, uh, you know, they were in a bar or something, you know, the, the the week or night before the game, and they were talking about it. And and Van der Laan came up to Sturridge and said to him, "You're the man. You're going to score. It's your time." You know, and he he made it his job to 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 big up other players to make them believe in themselves in the same way that Jim Smith did. Do you know? I think uh, another player, and I guess the man management of this would would come through that. Sean at times when other players maybe weren't you mentioned Sturridge goal drought did you know who the person who, who stepped up Paul Simpson and he must have scored so 10 12, 12 goals 10, yeah there you go 12 goals there in that season Hattrick against Portsmouth I think he scored, scored a couple of braces in that uh, March-April time as well and if it wasn't for him scoring the goals when someone else came out of form that's what you need from a team isn't it it's what we haven't got maybe in this current Derby team one player drops out of form another player steps up and scores the goals and that was what exactly what we had in in ninety six ninety seven. Everyone the goals would come from everywhere, and Simpson scored a lot the of ni- crucial goals. Ninety five ninety six. Sorry, ninety five ninety six. <laughs> I know it's a long time ago. But... <laughs> I, tell you, I tell you what's uh, really great. I mean, Tom mentioned that the only other Derby team that comes close to Jim Smith team in recent times is uh, is Steve McLaren's team, and what what a lovely bit of continuity that is. You know, Steve McLaren. Paul Simpson as well, of course. Eric Steele was involved with the Jim Smith team. So it's lovely that that legacy continued right up until three or four years ago. And the, and the two best derby teams of our lifetime have had a lot of the same people involved. I'll, uh, I'll hold my hands up at this point. I think the summer of 1996 was one of the best summers of, uh, of my life. You know, as a, a young whippersnapper going into uh, secondary school. Big, big move for me, mm-hmm. making the step up. Um, Euro 96 as well, of course. And Derby were back in the big time. And this was the time when Jim Smith really started to 
dip into his contacts book, didn't he? Motor. Really started to extend his uh, his network. So in in Derby's first season back in the Premier League, back in English top flight, in came Alyosha Sanovic, Paolo Wanchop, and uh, and Jakub Lawson. Mm. Three really solid buys there in his first season. Arguably, arguably, and again we'll come on to it, but arguably three of his best signings in terms of instant impact. Jakob Larsson was a fantastic defender, probably gets overlooked a lot, but he played so many games for Derby. Um, leading appearance maker, I believe, in, in Premier League history, Jakob Larsson. He was second behind Darrell Powell. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he just, he didn't transform the team. He just added some, obviously, some flair in, in the likes of uh, Wanchop and Asanovic. I think, obviously, Asanovic had had a decent year in 96. I think he was in that team. Um, and Jakob Larsson, he probably pulled out of nowhere. So, he just he just knew to do the right thing, and we had a solid season. I think we finished uh, just the top of the second half, the uh, bottom half of the table, and uh, we didn't never really look, never really looked like getting relegated, from what I remember. So um, one of the players I just mentioned there, uh, Daryl Powell, who played the entire promotion season in ninety five and ninety six under Jim Smith, then went on to make one hundred and seventy Premier League appearances for Derby, almost all of them under Jim Smith's management, uh, having also played for him at Portsmouth. Uh, we also spoke to him in one of our earlier podcasts when we first launched, and uh, here's what he said about the transformation that Derby went through under that manager and uh, how they ended up surviving in the Premier League. It was fantastic, actually. I remember moving to Derby, and I had a few other offers at the time. I decided that Derby was the right move for me, and it was a real transition for the football club because, if I remember rightly, Derby had spent a hell of a lot of money in the previous maybe four or five seasons and bought a lot of big names. They uh, moved those out and brought in a young group that nobody ever knew. And um, it took us a little while to click, but once we clicked and we were off and running, you know, we we were a, a strong, a strong, strong unit mixed in with a couple of experienced players. Jim was really, he would really, really take a chance. He obviously had a good scouting network and probably had good um, friends who were agents who, had good contacts, and he would take a chance on a player and he would look at players and I would imagine Steve McLaren was also very, very, very good in that area as well. But one thing with us at that time, I think we were a very forward-thinking club. We're very advanced technology-wise. We were doing stats way, way back then. After every game, we would do stats. We'd have the pro zone. We'd have the pro zone and we would talk distances covered, touches of the ball, areas you've passed the ball, you know, the lot. And I think we were... I would, I would say we're probably the first club in the country to get going with that Yeah, in a big way. We could compete against any team in the league, even the top teams in that league. And I can remember the first season and I can remember when Manchester United came to us with a, with a youngish team. I think we drew at the baseball ground. Maybe that also helped us, the fact that we stayed at the baseball ground for an extra season. But mentally, the group was very, very, very strong. And then... Jim brought in Eagle Stimach in the championship season. Yeah. He was just in a different level mentally. What do, you, if you don't, what, what do you mean by that? He was just so composed. He just, and, just had uh, so much belief yeah. in himself, in what he could do. And then we were relatively young. And our group... Did that rub off had, on the likes of yourselves? For sure. And that summer, 96, we signed Asanovic. And I remember watching him in the Euros... They played over at Nottingham Forest. And I can't remember who they played against. And I watched him and he was fantastic. And then you knew that you had to raise your level. If you wanted to be a part of things going forward, you had to raise your level. And I think we all did. And we all fed off each other. And we all contributed. So more in a second. We'll uh, reflect a bit more on uh, the life and times 
of Jim Smith and his contribution over six years to Derby County Football Club. But uh, don't forget to subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. And uh, give us a follow on social as well, if you'd be so kind. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod and on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our friends at Derby Brewing Company would like to wish all their customers a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And why not make it a Derby Brewing Christmas? If you fancy your own barrel of beer at home over the festive period, they're available in 18, 36 and 72 pints. Just call the office on 01332 365 366 to place your order. For those still looking for gifts, why not visit the DBC website or brewery shop for merchandise, gift packs and, of course, beer. Well, they'd like one more, I'm sure. And they might get one yet with Chris Powell and then Gabby Dini and then Daryl Powell. And they are so confident today, Derby. Vanderland to Karslick. And they've strung together half a dozen passes here. Sturridge wandering around that penalty area. Brilliantly past two defenders, pulls it back, and that's a hat-trick for Simpson. And it's six for Derby. Fun facts to kick off the second part of this podcast. So part of Jim Smith's legacy, of course, was that he uh, was a big part of Derby moving from the baseball ground to Pride Park. But I was uh, watching, a bit, watching back a bit of the 95-96 season review, and right at the beginning, they said that there were actually plans during before the Port Vale game to redevelop the baseball ground. So they were going to... The first phase was to redevelop the uh, Toyota side stand for £10 million, and then they were going to redevelop two other stands to take the capacity of the of the BBG up to 26,000. But I think the story goes was that that season started to go so well that they thought, scrap that, let's move to a whole new stadium in, uh, instead. I mean... <laughs> they did that pretty quickly, didn't they? We're at, well, we're in Pride Park two years later, so if we were still marooned in mid-table under Jim Smith, the face of our club could have been very different. I think... Um... How how nostalgic would it be to have a, the BBG with twenty six thousand all seater stadium under lights and stuff like that? It'd be beautiful, but like Pride Park is such a fantastic venue, and whoever made the decision to sign off on that, then then great. But yeah, I, I do recall that as well. The the discussions that were happening, um, having watched back that that season's little video, and I think Jim Smith is such a, a sort of forerunner of this club at, in our time as to how much he's changed from it, and I think that. The, the move from the BBG to, to Pride Park was, was critical in helping Derby like, create a top 10 team in the Premier League. What were Jim Smith's best attributes as a manager, would you say? I think from from what I remember at the time and from what we've heard from our own interviews of players from that era, Chris, it's got to be, it's got to be the man management. You know, you think about the, the Pala one-chop story about the bus, uh, playing the salsa music, getting him, up, getting him up for it. He just seems like he was a perfect man manager of... of all players, you know, his t- as we've already said, his team was so cosmopolitan, so multinational, and yet he had obviously had an impact on on all of them. And it must, there must have been such different types of characters in that uh, in that team. I think he was a decent tactician. I think he obviously left lots of the a bit like Sir Alex Ferguson. He understood where his weaknesses might be, or he understood what what kind of assistant would complement him. And so Steve McLaren was the perfect foil for him, and, and Steve Round as well uh, involved in that. And you know, he nurtured both. Steve McLaren and Steve Round now are, are, are respected as one of the best, some of the best training ground coaches there are. Now, there's, obviously, we know there's questions over McLaren's man management, but they were the perfect duo. And obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson agreed and, and took Steve McLaren with him to, 
to Man United. So I think Smith's attributes, I would say, man management and understanding the benefits of having a, a complementary coaching team. He's so he seemed to be so good at getting the best out of in some cases some fairly limited players in terms of like not technically brilliant but getting the very best out of those sort of players and Paul Simpson was a, a brilliant player for Derby but he could sort of run down that left wing and get the cross in or get into the box and score um, but he he was always sort of a, a really good sort of useful addition to having that squad and when we got to the Premier League I, I if I correct me if I'm wrong I don't think he started but he was still a useful player to be in that in that sort of squad in the Premier League and, and made sort of 18 or 19 substitute appearances, which I believe is a record. And that was Jim Smith. He he got the best out of those group of players. And as you said, Kutch, like the backroom team that was be, behind him, they're all renowned as world-class players, uh, world-class coaches. And that's what he knew. He, he knew his weaknesses and he put people in who could, could deal with that when he couldn't. We uh, we put the request out to uh, to our followers on Twitter for uh, for their memories of Jim Smith and uh, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch and uh, James Randall got in touch on Twitter he said uh, in the 96-97 season Derby were away at Gillingham in the FA Cup and uh, then were away to Chelsea on the Saturday in the same week uh, Derby stayed at the uh, Hanlow Grange Health Farm which is now a Champney Spa <laughs> and uh, on the Wednesday the whole squad went to the Crown Pub in Henlow for a meal. Um, now, James knew someone who uh, who worked in the Engineers Arms, which is a nearby pub also in Henlow, uh, which is a Derby pub. The, the landlord was a massive Derby County fan, so he said that uh, he went down with the landlord's son down to the Crown and uh, saw Jim Smith and all the players in there, went straight up to Jim, told him about the Engineers Arms and how the, all of them were, were Derby mad. And right there and then, Jim Smith got everybody to go straight there for a drink and uh, some he said some members of that team like uh, like Russell Holt and Sean Flynn ended up staying to the early hours uh, with the full permission of Jim Smith he said it's one of the best nights of my life <laughs> but uh, he's keen to clarify that that pub was a stone's throw from the uh, from where they were staying so there was no driving back for the pub <laughs> important involved <laughs> which I feel is important to uh, to point out so in uh, so 96 to 99 I think we can regard as the best period under Jim Smith, the best period as a Derby fan in the last generation, quite frankly. There are a lot of new faces at the club in that time. Taking in that period and also um, 99 till 2001, who were the best three signings that Jim Smith made? I would probably go for uh, Igor Stimach, of course. One name we haven't mentioned yet, who was just someone that we're all in love with, I believe, is Stefano Aranio. And I don't know if he would have been signed in, in quite in that period, but my third top Jim Smith signing is actually Seth Johnson. Yeah, I did like Seth Johnson. I wouldn't put him in my top three. Um, agree with you, Stimach. Um, I like Aranio. Uh, I liked Bayano. Mark Poom, he just brought a different class to that goalkeeping jersey, making his debut at Old Trafford um, and then being a complete legend between the sticks. A man we interviewed earlier this year, Paolo Wontrop, I think might well be my uh, third best Jim. Well, not necessarily third best, but my... Top of my top three. There's a lot to choose from. There is. To choose from. Should have known the uh, goalkeepers union would have uh, oh. would have come into this somewhere. I, I, I always Poon. put I always put Mark Poom and I almost put Pala one shot. But you could put Asanovic in there. You could put Larson in there. Maybe even Christian Daly, Robin van der Laan for his contributions in that. I hadn't thought about Christian Daly actually. I mean, Solid I um, player. I had uh, Stimach 
Iranio and uh, I, did, I went a bit rogue. I did actually have King Clancy as a third option for a while, but no I way. think um, I think for overall contribution, you'd probably have to say one chop. Yeah, I think Carbonari could get in there. Daryl Powell made the most amount of uh, appearances in the Premier League for Derby, as you mentioned earlier. They're all like big signings, and in fact, was Daryl Powell actually signed by Smith? I mean, Chris Powell. It was, yeah. Chris yeah. Powell's another one. Chris Powell. Put in there. There's Both. some excellent signings in there, but. But those players um, helped us to, let, let, let's not forget, some incredible results in, in that period. Uh, just to remind everyone of, of the, the results that Derby pulled off in those years. Uh, Man United 2, Derby 3, of course, in 1997. Uh, Derby 3, Arsenal 0 in 1997. Derby 1, Liverpool 0 in 1998. Derby then did the double over Liverpool in 1998-1999. They I mean, finished two points below Liverpool that season. Granted, this was a, a Liverpool team who were a, a, a bit of a shadow of, of certain, certainly their current, their current team and the uh, and that team in the mid nineties. But they still boasted the likes of you know Fowler, McManaman, Berger, Redknapp, um, Michael Owen, a young Steven Gerrard. Let's not forget that the Man United and Arsenal teams we're talking about they weren't like the complete shambles that those teams are now. They were basically the Man City and, and Liverpool of their day and. Uh, and they hated coming to Derby. They really hated it. I think, uh, we gave them a game every time. I totally agree. And I, I, I believe that Derby were the only team in the Arsenal double winning side of 97-98. Uh, Derby the only side not to lose to Arsenal that year. I think we got a draw away from home and a, a win at home. It was a 3-0 that you mentioned earlier. And it's just that, that's testament to how difficult it was to come to Pride Park uh, and to play a Jim Smith side. He, he knew how to battle with the big boys and he, we were definitely the underdogs. It was a bit of a a mixed match of players it was very cosmopolitan but it wasn't necessarily like your your household names and we put that together as a as a as a team as a squad and we we overperformed in that time for for the position that Derby County should perhaps ordinarily be in and I don't think I really appreciated that at the time but looking back now I, I totally appreciate that very quickly I'm not entirely sure that Arsenal stat is right it might Point. but um I just want to put it out there before someone tweets us angry. <laughs> uh, and I think I think one of the I think one of the other things going back to his attributes quickly. Tom just touched upon is is the eye for a player. I mean, we should we should have said that that his probably best attribute was an eye for a player. Some of those signs we just reeled off. We can't agree on a three together, and there's another ten that we probably haven't even mentioned: Argentinians, Italians, Costa Ricans, Croatians, Estonians, Danes, Dutchmen, yeah, and a British presence too. So. Brought it together nicely. Melting pot. Another fan got in touch with us on uh, Twitter to uh, give us their memories of uh, Jim Smith. Ben Taylor tweeted us. He said uh, he used to go to the training ground at Rainsway when he was a kid to uh, get the players' autographs. Uh, Jim Smith obviously would come and chat to them. But if any player was going to walk past without signing the autographs, Jim Smith would call them back, give them the death stare until they jogged back from their cars. He said he was a top guy. So... uh, the 1998 season, 98-99, was undoubtedly Jim Smith's peak. The highest league finish, I think. I think that was the eighth. The season we finished eighth because towards the end of that, there were three key departures which left gaps which Derby really struggled to fill afterwards and sort of uh, were the catalyst to our demise and stay in the Premier League. Uh, Paolo Wanchop left at the end of that season for West Ham, along with uh, Igor Stimach. Uh, Bayano left the following October. I think Jim Smith said in his book that uh, he wasn't massively keen on the volume of games and the, uh, and the, and the weather in Britain. And uh, probably most importantly, in February 1999, Steve McLaren was poached by 
Man United where he uh, helped them win the league for three years Incredible. in a row um, and in the following years in the following two seasons Derby would tread water in, in, in the Premier League to a certain extent the uh, financial demands were, were starting to catch up with us at this point as the uh, the Premier League got richer and richer but Jim Smith did keep us in that division for another two seasons when we uh, when we were really struggling so when you look back on those six seasons or those six years, do you think him keeping us in the Premier League for those two years after we'd lost our best players was almost as good an achievement as those three mid-table finishes before them? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think he didn't. I think this, he didn't really replace one chops to match Bayano. Uh, the only the only signings that came in that summer were Seth Johnson and Andy Oakes. So not like for like replacements at all. Um, Lee Morris signed in October that year, um, and and it wasn't until December that Craig Burley and, and Branko Strupa came in, and, and then King Cladzi as well, which kind of probably King Cladzi was the closest thing to replacing some of the flair that, that Paolo Wontrop had brought us. So he he, he had to make do. Um, he obviously wasn't given much money to spend. I looked at some of the kind of net spend over those years, and we were actually making a, a big profit for two or three years in the transfer market, four or five million pounds. We weren't and we weren't spending big in return and but to be honest he also made some of some of his worst signings which we'll come on to have actually the ones that he you know piled out money for you think lee morris three million pounds on lee morris when we didn't spend much money it was a big outlay for a player that never really um never really contributed mainly for injury problems of, i think um to us so he he definitely struggled i think he didn't really replace steve mclaren but as he said he, he made do and he did keep us in for another another couple of seasons yeah I'd, I'd agree with what you say there um i think the the derby getting promoted uh in 95 96 that was um we were always there and thereabouts and so it, it came as a bit of a surprise as any any promotion i guess would but we were it wasn't like we were like Billy Davis where we'd finished like 20th or so the year before um, and then suddenly got promoted ridiculously. Um, and so I think the the performance of keeping Derby in the Premier League on that sort of shoestring budget by comparison to now was a, a really incredible um, effort. But at the same time, there's a caveat with that. And as you say, Kutch, looking at the, the, the worst signings, I think that Jim Smith personally made, they all come in that period and we didn't replace and maybe that's a bit of luck maybe that's a, a bit of misjudgment who knows but um, some of those players just didn't perform for him and we brought in some players who were frankly pretty shocking in that time he did at the same time have a bit of a soft spot for a uh, for a more mature player let's say during uh, during a large parts of his spell to plug short term gaps at least if you think about the likes of Paul McGrath uh, Tony DiRigo Taribo West yeah uh, Ravanelli as well. They're all players in the uh, you know with their best years behind them. But Paul, Paul Parker but, but, in there as well. Paul, Paul Parker, yeah, yeah, as earlier on, yeah. Craig, Craig Burley comes into that category. You'd probably say. But by and large, he he tended to get those deals right. I would say. Um, and there was famously one deal that didn't quite come off that would have been the most sensational in his entire spell when <laughs> when Derby tried to buy Roberto Baggio mm. in um, I want to say ninety eight. I think. Around that time, um, Aranio was already at the club, I think, and Jim Smith was made aware that Baggio was available and the story goes that uh, he went over to, to Italy to meet Baggio's people, but when he got there and spoke to them and met Baggio, the goalposts changed, basically, and they said that they wanted much more money than Fair enough. they had done before. <laughs> he uh, saw, he well, saw what Derby to, had to offer. I've got to go to Derby? <laughs> oh, right, okay. Um, and Barbados? Oh, no. In the end, Jim Smith went back to the club, tried to convince the board to uh, to sanction the deal but it didn't happen but uh, in the end Iranio said uh, oh if you can't afford Baggio 
And there's this great other little Italian guy instead from uh, Fiorentina called uh, called Bayano. You should go for him instead. It's the same two letters, first two letters are the same. And, B- and Bayano is a fantastic player, brilliant. And that was my favourite kit as well. And so it worked out right in the end, is what I'm saying. Yeah, sorry, Chris. Yeah, it did. It did work out all right in the end. Obviously, Bayano didn't stick around for very long. I think um, Roberto Baggio must have had quite an inventive agent because there's also quite a famous story about him designing for Swindon about three or four years before that as well. So I think he was obviously touted out. A bit. I'm not quite sure why, because he was still a pretty decent player. Do you think Baggio's time. agent loves a bit of champ man in his spare time? He must do, or maybe he likes an envelope full of cash. You know, <laughs> I'm just wondering whether um, 32 Red were around in 1998, because clearly, clearly they weren't. Whereas, uh... Yeah, I mean, the fact that we've signed May Rooney does like sort of piss on that anecdote a little bit. But, um, but I think it is sort of comparable, comparable to Derby signing someone like Zlatan or something now, isn't it, really? Like, it just would have been absolutely stratospheric if, if he had pulled it off just wait there I've got a couple of uh, contacts who are going to talk to Phil and then get Zlatan and Phil in a room and you never know what might happen in January <laughs> Zlatan in League One <laughs> <laughs> so one of those players we mentioned there was Fabrizio Ravanelli uh, who was one of the uh, sort of his swan song really for Jim Smith signed him at the start of the season where Derby went down um now, I'm not really painting this as, as an example of Jim Smith being a great manager because Jim, because Ravanelli cost an absolute fortune and I think we were paying off his wages for about two years after he left. But there's just um, a funny story in Jim Smith's book that I wanted to tell you both about Ravanelli. So he talks about when he went to, when he went to Italy to try and make the deal happen. And he said, uh, I combined the trip to Italy by taking in a couple of matches, including a European Cup final, where... Because of a shortage of hotel rooms, I had the misfortune to share a bed with my old friend, Ron Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't know it before, I came to the conclusion that night that he just wasn't my type. But Ravanelli certainly was. And when I got back, I begged the chairman to do the deal. You, Probably the most expensive in Derby's history. Can you, I'm imagining, do you think they top and tailed? Ron, big like Ron. Planes, and, trains, and automobile situation. Isn't big it? Ron and the Bald Eagle. It could be a sitcom, that. You know, <laughs> uh, going, to, going down for breakfast in the morning. And maybe you know, Ron Atkinson might say some things that probably aren't really acceptable in society. But that's okay in sitcoms <laughs> in, the, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah, that would have been fine. And uh, yeah, you know, the, the story goes that Derby basically had to sell Seth Johnson and Rory Delap to, uh, to to balance the books around that period. But another cheaper success story that Jim Smith did bring through around that time was uh, Malcolm Christie. Yeah. Of course, a former supermarket shelf stacker who he bought from non-league Nuneaton Borough in 1998 and uh, who went on to score more than 20 Premier League goals. Uh, we interviewed Malk in November 2017 and uh, here's what he said about the Bald Eagle's influence on his career. What was he like as a coach? Was he would he sort of fly off the handle when Derby lost or, or was oh, he was he more of like an arm man or shoulder sort of a, of a manager? Oh, of him. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted the best for me because because he signed me and because he took a punt on me, he obviously wanted to give me an opportunity to progress and do well. But he was always hard on me because he knew I'd respond to it. And again, it was the same for everyone. You know, we'd be training, we'd be with the coaches, and then you'd see Jim, you know, half an hour into the session, he'd be down, be walking down the, the stairs at the Ram Arena, be walking over, and then all of a sudden, everyone would look, he's coming, he's coming. And then the standard of it would just would just go up. And some players couldn't deal with it because having him watch you in training, you know, some players it inspired, some players it made them a, a, a bit of a quivering mess. But for me, he, he managed... He managed me. I remember at one time being at, um, at Pride Park later on in me sort of time with Jim. Um, I'd run, I was clean through on goal, training session. Um, I tried to lob 
trying to get me back back down to earth. I mean, I'm, I remember I've been on pre-season training as well. You know, we would go go abroad, um, and I'd be with the other lads, and we'd be sort of having a laugh and a joke um, on a day off on a uh, when we were sort of doing pre-season, and we'd be there having maybe a, a bottle of beer or something. I remember we were having a game of pool, having a beer. Jim walked in. I was like, "There's a bottle of beer in me hand." He like looked at me like a disappointed father. He had he had me next day and look, I'm very disappointed. You know, you need to focus on your game now. This something. And yeah, I was only doing it because everybody else is. And do you know what? He didn't say anything to anybody else because he, he looked at me like I don't know. Like he'd given me the opportunity, and he obviously I didn't want to let him down as, as he didn't want to sort of let me down. So it was almost like you know, one goes so far to say it was a father-son relationship, but you know, he knew what pushed my buttons. And I knew I had to play well because I didn't want to be in the, coming in at half time or full time and disappointing him. So yeah, not all perfect signings. I mean, we're not here to say that James Smith was, you know, who got every single transfer right. And if we're going to remember his time at Derby, we've got to remember the odd deal, which was a bit bizarre, which the, the odd turkey that he did sign for the Rams. So. Who were the um, who were the three signings that Jim Smith made that he'll probably prefer to forget? Do you think I might be a bit controversial here because there's lots there's lots to say that people who he signed who are kind of nobodies and never actually made an appearance. He took lots of punts on people and then like maybe they wouldn't even really play any games. But the ones I would say and, and they're more because I think it just was bad value for money. His best signings were the ones people like Malcolm Christie you just mentioned. You know, came in for almost nothing from non-league, had a huge impact. But I'd say Lee Morris. Three million pounds on Lee Morris was. A, I think that's harsh. I think that's. Harsh. I'd say Craig Burley. <sighs> no, Craig Burley worse. A lot, of, a lot of money for someone again. You know, for me, Craig Burley kind of epitomises those 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 leaner years. And then lastly, Comblatsis. Yeah. <laughs> in that in that in that former category of didn't really didn't really play at all. I'll me. give you Comblatsis because I had basically forgotten that he ever played for us. Possibly because he even didn't. But cross, the, cross um, off Comblatsis off my list. Two appearances for Derby, Australian international, useless. <laughs> um, but I think Burley and Morris are harsh. I mean, but Morris did nothing in the in the Premier League, but he, he, well, he scored a few goals and when we came down. But yeah, he had a spell when he got back from injury. He was lightning quick, and he had a spell when he came back from injury where he started to make an impact in the Championship yeah. or the old Division One. And but he didn't make an impact when he was signed as a three million pound player to make an impact, and that's what kind of coloured it for me. And Craig Burley said maybe it's harsh, but I just felt that he was a big name player. He's probably one of our biggest name outside of Ravenelli and Trevor West. Probably got the biggest established name. You know, Chelsea player, Rangers player, and he didn't. He was meant to dominate that midfield, but you know, Lee Carsley, Seth Johnson, Robin Van der Laan are all much more impactful midfielders in, in, yeah. in that day. I'd never expect Craig Burley to be dominating the midfield. I know what you're saying there in the t- sense that he played for big teams, but he was never like a top-class signing for me. He was a signing that came from a bigger club to a littler club because he didn't play very much. And that was, yeah, I, I think that's a bit harsh personally. But um, I think that's... Yeah, I, I think that's very harsh, especially when I tell you my Ooh, three names. Oh, <laughs> I, I remember him scoring tw- twice in the last minute against Sheffield Wednesday. He had his three, moments. Three he had his I moments. Mean, have, didn't, didn't have enough of them. Yeah. Um, Go on, Chris. When I give you my three names, firstly Esteban Fuertes. Oh, yeah, no. I second you on that one. Who who <laughs> literally was a, were, were, had a false passport? No, but he was a good player though. That's so harsh. False he passport. End of argument. Play. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of signing someone who can't play? Uh, second. Bjorn Otto Bragstad, who Ooh. was also complete toilet. Norwegian. <laughs> a lot of Scandinavians, wasn't there? Uh, thirdly, a striker who came in to replace one chop, but did sweet FA, was uh, big Mikkel Beck. <laughs> Absolutely awful. You can't tell me that Craig Burley is worse than those three players. <laughs> Tom, who did you uh, have? So you, 
I, I had a list which I was then crossing off names. I'm quite pleased I was going last. And uh, my top three included Mikel Beck and Esteban Fuertes. Uh, I also had Bragstad in there and, and Komblatsis. Vas Borbokis. Because mm. I remember hearing him. I remember listening to Sheffield United on uh, the championship on Five Live. And who's this poor Bokis running down the left wing? I was like, he sounds quality. We should sign him. About a month later, we did. And he was awful. God awful. Uh, but also Brian O'Neill. Another Scottish midfielder in the Craig Burley mould, and he did he did absolutely nothing. Sixteen games or so, seventeen games with Derby, uh, never really looked like he was good enough to play for us. So I would go Bobokis, Beck, Fuertes for my top three. But I agree with what you're saying. There's some some toilet in there. I think um, one one person we know, Jim Smith, loved a Scandinavian signing. I think he had the full full house uh, over his time. And uh, Simo Vadakari, I don't remember him making much of an impact. He was a free transfer from Motherwell. Um, he had a great, that was a season, had that really wicked purple away kit. And uh, I always, for some reason, whenever I think of that kit, I always think of uh, Vadakari uh, on the back of it. But uh, I don't really remember him having any kind of impact. I think we're just moving into the realms of players who were just quite forgettable rather than genuinely terrible. This leads but... into a, a nice uh, worst team of the decade for 2010, 2019, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, that's, that's a pod that's in the making. Yeah, well, let's... Let's round off the discussion and remembrance of uh, Jim Smith with our, we can, do this, can try to do this quite quickly, our three respective best Jim Smith 11s from his uh, entire managerial stay. Uh, can I go first? Yeah, you can, of course, sir. So my 11 was in goal, Poom, right to left, Lawson right back, Stimach, Carbonari at the back, Chris Powell left back, and in the middle... Uh, I was quite torn about the midfield, but I had uh, Iranio, Vandalan, and Asanovic, and then uh, and then a bit, and then the three three big boys up front: Dino, one shot, Bayano. Yeah, that's hard to. Mine's very similar. Um, I went four four two rather than four three three because I don't know what you guys are doing four three three for because I don't think it even existed in the nineteen nineties. But uh, okay, um, so yeah, Mark Pooman goal, Jakob Larsen right back. I went Stimach, and Christian Daly was a fort. But, and he's probably not the best, but one of my favourite ever Derby County players and the hero of mine was Chris Riggett. And I put Chris Riggett alongside Stimach. Again, a bit like our conversation in our team of the year, team of the decade. Um, it'd be nice to have seen Chris Riggett in a, in a really good Derby team. Uh, Chris Powell, obviously, at left back. Stefan Schnorr probably might uh, run close, but uh, Chris Powell there. And then uh, four midfielders, uh, Aranio on the right wing, Paul Simpson on the left wing. And then I went Asanovic and again... I could have gone Lee Carsey, but I decided to go Seth Johnson. Um, and then one shop and Sturridge up front. Yeah, I really like those shouts. And I was ticking off as uh, you went through that, Chris. I went Poom in goal, uh, Lawson uh, right back, Stimach, Carbonari, Powell across the back. Honourable mention to Paul McGrath. I think he was pivotal in keeping us up in uh, that first Premier League year. Uh, Chris Riggett, again, another quality centre-half. Um I then went the three in midfield. I I didn't like the Paul Simpson shout you had. I just don't think he played enough under Jim Smith. He was a he was a, a really good Derby player in the uh, in my sort of early early memory, but not necessarily under Jim Smith. I went the lap ahead of Carsley just to sort of sit and be the big sort of strong man. Uh, Ivanio and Asanovic in front. I don't think it would work as a midfield three, but who cares? I love, I love how whenever we do this, you always like treat it as natural functioning football team. Yeah, just, I've got to just think Just 11 players, mate. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't put 11 players in there and then just say that they're going to work. I mean, I'm not a Galactico manager. I've got to think about this tactically and stuff. Um, I 
took out Sturridge and put Christie in. But Christie, one chop by Arno. I think that's going to be a devastating Big front shout. Three. So I had Christie as an honourable mention, yeah. along with uh, popular worst signing ever, Craig Burley, uh, <laughs> Taribo West, Tony DiRigo, Marco Gabbiadini, uh, yeah. Lee Carsley. Branko Strupa, I love Branko Strupa. Branko Strupa, first goal of the millennium. Branko Strupa was just never quite as good as I thought he was going to be. Is, is, is my enduring memory and our, and our song was uh, Super Trooper to the ABBA song Super Trooper unless, it was. I, unless I made that up but I uh, seem to I remember think, that being a thing I remember that as well so I don't think you did and he also scored a belting uh, diving header against Everton in the season we went down 4-3 so, three, I was there yeah and Rory Delap as well so uh, yeah I think we're settled on a pretty decent team there <laughs> before we wrap this up Kutch where would you say Jim Smith ranks in uh, the list of Derby's best ever managers I was actually thinking this. Yeah, I was thinking this the other day. I mean, Brian Clough. You've got to have Brian Clough as a number one. Um, I think in terms of obviously winning the league, and of course Dave McKay won the league as well. So it's it's hard to put Smith above those two, but I think he'd be number three after those two. Yeah, I, I was about to sort of think right who won the who won the FA Cup in 1946 as well. Like I mean, we don't really talk about managers in mm-hmm. the. Uh, in the sort of like early years of Derby. And I, I believe Jim Smith was our 20th manager. And you saying that there's been 14 subsequent Derby managers. It just says a lot that he was the 20th ever Derby County manager, if that, if I'm correct in that, in 110 years of Derby being in existence. And in the subsequent 25 years, we've had 14. That says a lot about how stable he made the club. And he was the last sort of time that, that Derby were, were a stable club. We were well run off the pitch. But certainly for the beginning part of it, we moved to a new stadium, finishing the top 10 for the first time in a long time uh, in the 1990s. And also looking like it was, I remember it being a, doing a Leicester and then suddenly it was, a, oh no, you get promoted, you should do a derby. And that's what it what it was. And you'd never imagine that now. And that's, it seems like a long time ago now. And that's a real shame. And Jim Smith, fantastic manager uh, for a number of clubs, not only derby and a, a great loss to football. Well, there we go. Some uh, excellent words there to... Um... To, to end this podcast on this special edition of Steve Bloomer's Washing where we've uh, looked back on the time of Jim Smith from 1995 till 2001 as Derby County Manager. I forgot to mention this earlier so thank you to uh, Jamie Thrasavulu who uh, very kindly recited his uh, excellent Bald Eagle poem which you heard earlier on in a podcast. We'll be back to talk our usual nonsense about the current Rams shambles in uh, on Boxing Day hopefully um, we're all going to Wigan against our better judgement so we're going to try and do something after that game um, but until then Richard thank you very much thank you Chris and Tom thank you all the best see you again soon mm-hmm.